Good morning, friends. Uh, I'm going to continue my series of messages on the book of Daniel. Uh, You can go back in my sermon site and find the first message. Uh, This one is uh, from Daniel chapter 6, and I'm going to call it Lion Tamer. You know, the story of Daniel and the lion's den is one of the best-known, best-loved stories in all the Bible. Little kids love it. Sunday school teachers love to tell it. In the days of slavery, this story became the basis of many of the Negro spirituals. It has encouraged the people of God for thousands of years, and why shouldn't it? The story is filled with unexpected twists and turns, and the good guy wins big, and the bad guys, well, the bad guys are torn to pieces. Along the way, we learn the secret of Daniel's success. Somehow he managed to survive and thrive in a spiritually hostile environment. That point is a good place to begin, because Christians live in a world of spiritual hostility, where the temptation to compromise our faith is with us every day. The world doesn't want its conscience pricked and doesn't reward those who dare to stand up for what they believe. In some parts of the world, standing up for Jesus means suffering and death. In America, and in most countries in the West, it means ostracism, ridicule, scorn, being left out, and sometimes being passed over. It often leads to tension at home and on the job. The book of Daniel tells us how to live for God in a hostile environment. His example shows us that it can be done, but not without a certain amount of discomfort. If you don't compromise, you are sure sure to come into trouble sooner or later. The story of Daniel in the lion's den reminds us that there is a spiritual battle raging all around us. The devil himself is like a roaring lion who would devour us if he could. Therefore, it should not surprise us if the devil has an army of supporters whose major call in life is to harass us, trick us, and trip us up if they can. Now, you can tell a lot about a person by the quality of his or her enemies. Daniel must have been a good man because he had the right kind of enemies. The people who hated him were no friends of God. They came after his faith because they could find no fault in him, and they had no answer for what he believed. Now, before we jump into this chapter, I want you to remember these two facts. Number one, Daniel is now a very old man. He came to Babylon as a teenager. All his adult life has been spent serving in the courts of various pagan rulers, and now he's 80, 85 years old. And second, he's now serving under a new king named Darius, who rules over a new kingdom, the Medo-Persian Empire. The names have changed, but the spiritual challenge is the same. Will he remain faithful when the pressure is on? Well, let's start with the king's decree. As this chapter opens, says Daniel 6, He's once again, Daniel's about ready to be promoted to a high office. Evidently, Darius recognized him as a man of integrity and wanted to make him second in command over the entire kingdom. That's when the intrigue begins. At this, the administrators and the satraps uh, tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said in verses 4 and 5, We will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. Now, this is what his enemies discovered when they examined his life. He was faithful in his duties. He was faultless in his character. He was fervent in his prayers. These are three marks of godliness even unbelievers could see. The people who watch you can tell if you work hard at your job. 
they know what kind of character you have. And if they watch long enough, they will learn whether or not you're a person of prayer. Whatever is in your heart will come out sooner or later, and people who don't know the Lord will know the truth about you. In Daniel's case, even his enemies had to admit he had no glaring weaknesses. No finer thing could be said than for your enemies to admit that they can find nothing wrong with you. Horace Greeley had a saying that Harry Truman often quoted. It's this, fame is a vapor, popularity an accident, riches take wings, those who cheer today may curse tomorrow, only one thing endures, character. Now let's suppose that your enemies decided to check you out the way the satraps came after Daniel. Suppose someone hired private investigators to look into every aspect of your life, public and private, past and present. What would they uncover? Suppose they checked out your high school and college transcripts, or how you treat your kids, or phone calls, or shopping habits, or internet usage, or financial records, favorite TV programs, what you do on vacation, or video rentals, every relationship you've ever had, your tax returns, every corner of your bedroom, I mean, business deals, police record, how you act on the job, how you deal with the opposite sex, your vocabulary at home, the jokes you tell, how you treat your spouse, places you visit. I suppose the list could go on, but could any of us survive that kind of scrutiny? I mean, Daniel did. The investigation revealed that he had no obvious moral weaknesses. Try as they might, his enemies found nothing wrong in his life. He lived so consciously in God's presence that he was a man above reproach. But, but Daniel did have one flaw. He was utterly predictable in his daily prayers. He prayed every day at the same time in the same way so that his enemies realized that this is where they could catch him. I'm sure you've heard this question. If you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Well, when they arrested Daniel for being a man of prayer, the evidence against him was overwhelming. So the satraps asked Darius to pass a 30-day law forbidding anyone to pray except to Darius himself. In effect, they said, King, how would you like to be God for a month? Well, sure, why not? I mean, this would appeal to anybody's pride. I mean, why not be God for a month? It might be fun. So the king signed the law knowing that it could not be repealed, not even by him. But he had no idea that Daniel was the intended target. Meanwhile, the satraps are laughing together. They knew Daniel would break the law. That is, they knew Daniel would keep on praying just as he had always done. Daniel was a victim of his own integrity. He was predictably faithful to God. Now, if he'd been some sort of a wacko believer, this evil plot would never have worked. His troubles came not from his weaknesses, but from his strengths. Let's take a look at the prophet's devotion. So what do you do when you discover that your enemies have passed a law aimed at one person and you are that person? It's like walking around with a bullseye on your shirt. I mean, how do you respond at that point tells a great deal about your character. Daniel 6.10 reveals the secret of his greatness. It said, Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Did you catch that last phrase? Just as he had done before. For perhaps 85 years, Daniel had prayed three times a day. I mean, maybe it was 7 a.m., 12 noon, and 5 p.m., but like clockwork, his daily routine revolved around three times a prayer. 
7, noon, and 5, 7, noon, and 5, 7, noon, and 5. I mean, you could set your watch by his prayer times. Now, I did the math and asked myself, how many times would Daniel have prayed if he prayed three times a day for 85 years? Well, it's, it's well almost 100,000 prayers. I mean, no wonder he simply went back to his room and started praying. An 85-year-old habit is hard to break. For him, prayer was like breathing, and he wasn't about to stop praying just because some snot-nosed satraps threatened his life. After all, he was 85. He wasn't going to live forever anyway, and he wasn't afraid to die. So when they tricked Darius into signing the 30-day law, Daniel just went ahead with his daily routine. No big deal. He went home, knelt, faced toward Jerusalem, and offered his prayers to God. He did it knowing that his adversaries would catch him, 7, noon, and 5. Now remember who Daniel is. He is one of the top three men in the Medo-Persian Empire. No doubt he had a plate full of heavy responsibility, yet he still had time to pray three times a day. And I'm sure the reason he prayed that way was because he knew if he didn't live by a scheduled prayer, would would soon be squeezed out. Prayer was so important to him that he was willing to die rather than to give up his right to pray to God. And friends, if you stop praying, the world will stop bothering you. The lions won't come near. Your family will maybe finally think you're normal. Your boss will think you're one of the boys. Or the lions win out when you're silent. The great mark of true faith is that we keep on praying. Now, it's easy to think of reasons why he might have disobeyed. I mean, he could have simply closed the windows and the satraps wouldn't have seen him pray. Or he could have said, you know, I'll pray in my heart. Nobody's going to know. After all, he was being forced to do this against his will. And, you know, it was only 30 days. He might have reasoned that by going along with the law, he could use his influence to help others. Certainly, he must have known that if he didn't go along with the law, the lions would eat him alive. But none of those excuses were needed because long ago, Daniel had made up in his mind to serve God no matter what. In a sense, his prior obedience made it easy for him. He had no decision to make. He just kept on doing what he'd been doing all along. Now, one writer remarked that Daniel's bedroom was the real lion's den. That's where the battle was fought and won. By committing himself to continuing in prayer, he won the only battle that mattered. When he won there, real lions were no problem. We think the miracle was that Daniel survived a night with the lions. That's a miracle, but the greater miracle was that he continued to pray when his life was on the line. So, what do you do when they call for the lions? Well, like Daniel, you don't change. You keep on serving the Lord and living for Jesus and then let the chips fall where they may. Now, Darius now realizes he's been tricked. He he likes Daniel and immediately begins seeking loopholes to prevent him being thrown to the lions. But even the king could not repeal his own law because that would make him look weak and ineffective. Now, the law must stand and Daniel must go to the lion's den. But Darius is rooting for the old man. In verse 16, he wishes Daniel well with these words, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. Man, what a testimony this is to the reality of Daniel's faith. Even unbelievers recognize true faith in God, and they respect it. So Daniel is thrown into the lion's den, a a pit dug into the ground with an entrance from the side for the lions, and a huge boulder placed over the top so there would be no escape. It was a crude and very effective form of capital punishment. No one ever got out alive. I'm certainly not an 80-year-old man. Daniel was as good as dead the moment they threw him in, or so they thought. But I want you to notice Daniel's 
three did nots. He did not try to escape the consequences of his decision to obey God. He did not know what would happen. And three, he did not make a deal with God to save himself. Evidently, Daniel was not afraid to die. Now, he may have suspected that God would rescue him, but he could not be sure until the moment came. I do not doubt that he had some anxiety when they took him to the pit. And I'm sure he was praying as they flung him into the darkness. And then he hit bottom, slid along the dirt, came to rest on his backside. He could hear the lions breathing a few feet away. But there were no roars, no menacing movements, no teeth tearing into his flesh. As the seconds ticked away, he began to relax. Minutes passed, then hours, and the lions did not touch him. Daniel later said an angel came to rescue him. I read that. I wonder if he sat down and had a chat with the angel. But we don't know for sure, but I think he probably did. I mean, who knows? Maybe the lions came like became like cuddly kittens, and Daniel played with them all night long. It was Dietrich Bonhoeffer who said, When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. changed America with these words, If a man hasn't discovered something that he will die for, he isn't fit to live. Now, Daniel had discovered something worth dying for, which is why he kept on praying when others would have quit. Since he wasn't afraid to die, he had the courage to live for God in a hostile, pagan world. Well, let's move on to part three, which is the Lord's deliverance. That night the king didn't sleep well, but Daniel probably slept like a baby. The king tossed, turned, paced the floor, refused entertainment, even refused to eat. And early in the morning, Scripture says he rushed to the lion's den, hoping against hope that Daniel had survived. When all is said and done, friends, it is better to be a child of faith in a lion's den than to be a king without God in a palace. I, I don't doubt that Daniel slept well. Maybe he used one lion for a soft pillow and the long flowing mane of another lion for a blanket. I mean, it's true that God didn't prevent him from being thrown into the den, but the Lord went in with him. That's why when morning came, he was still alive, unharmed in any way. And guess what? When they pulled him out, no one had to apply first aid. They didn't call 911. Daniel didn't need to go to the hospital for observation. Though he was an old man, he came out at least as healthy as when he went in. Thus, God takes care of his own. You see, God shut the mouths of the lions so they could not harm his servant. Consider the matter from the lion's point of view. I mean, how frustrating to see a, a meal and unable to eat it. If they don't get Daniel out of there, the lions will die of hunger. Now, you've heard it said that Daniel was in the lion's den. It turns out the lions were in Daniel's den. But let's jump back to Darius for a moment. When he came rushing to check on things early in the morning, he cried out, Daniel! Servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? That's in verse 26. Do you get that? The pagan ruler is cheering for Daniel's God. He recognized the genuineness of Daniel's faith, and though he didn't believe himself, he hoped that Daniel's God would deliver him. In verse 23, it tells us why the miracle happened. He trusted in his God. Nothing fancy. I mean, for over 80 years, Daniel's faith had rested in the God of Israel. This wasn't about to change at this late date. I mean, Daniel simply kept on trusting in God. And as a result, the lions couldn't touch him. Faith believes God, even when belief is unbelievable. And the story ends quickly. I mean, first his enemies who plotted against him are thrown to the lions, along with their wives and children. That's verse 24. Then Darius 
offers public praise to the God of Daniel, verses 26 and 27, who is the living God who endures forever. He rescues and he saves, and he is the one who delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. I mean, what amazing words coming from the lips of a pagan king. Or perhaps he's not pagan anymore. Maybe like Nebuchadnezzar, he became a believer in the one true God. We won't know for sure until we get to heaven, but I guess I would not be surprised to see Darius there. Now let me wrap this up by considering five quick lessons for modern-day Daniels who find themselves facing the lions every day. One, it is possible to live a pure life in the midst of a thoroughly pagan world. Daniel's story demonstrates that if you make up your mind or purpose in your heart to serve God, you can do it. You can live for Jesus on the job or office or classroom or neighborhood. There's always a way to compromise for those who want to compromise, but there is also a way to obey God for those who want to obey God. And second, Christians who live for God should expect opposition. I mean, Daniel had his share. He lived a blameless life. And friend, if you set out to live for God sooner or later, probably sooner, trouble comes. This is part of what Jesus meant by taking up your cross daily and following him. And ironically, the more honest you are, the sooner your enemies will attack. And three, God can use us to touch unlikely people when we're faithful to him. I mean, Daniel 6 emphasizes the powerful effect that Daniel's personal integrity had on Darius. And while it's true that many of his colleagues envied Daniel and plotted to kill him, it's also true that he made an enormous impact on good on the mightiest man in the world. So you see, friends, we never know who's watching us or what they're looking for, but this story teaches us that not every unbeliever hates Christians. For every satrap out there planning our downfall, there is a Darius keeping an eye on us, hoping that our faith may prove to be genuine. Such people have little or no faith, and deep inside they want what we have. Even though they may never say so, they're cheering for us because they hope that what we believe will turn out to be true. Some Darius has his eyes on you right now. Be careful what you say and do. Your example may be leading someone to heaven, or through carelessness, you may be leading them in an entirely different direction. And four, God is able to deliver his people from any danger they face. If God can deliver Daniel from the lion's den, he can certainly deliver you. I mean, generations of Christians have taken strength from this story because in the end, the hero isn't Daniel, it's Daniel's God. The same God is sovereign over those who plot against you, and he's sovereign over the lions that surround you. So take heart and trust in God. He can deliver you from whatever's troubling you this very moment. And five, God always delivers in his own time and in his own way. Now, this is the necessary balance. Does God always deliver his people? Yes, yes, indeed. But not always in the way we expect. Not all our prayers are answered in the way we pray them. And in the end, we must confess that it is good that God has the veto power over our fervent petitions. Sometimes God overrules because he sees the bigger picture and he knows he can glorify himself in some way other than by delivering us from a difficult spot. This story ought to be a great encouragement to us because from it we learn that God can and sometimes does deliver in amazing and miraculous ways. Therefore, let's pray with confidence to a God who can stop the mouths of any lions we may face. And if Daniel should choose to answer in some other way, we may rest secure that God makes no mistakes, as King Nebuchadnezzar learned the hard way that everything he does is right. Go back and read Daniel chapter 4. Now, before we leave this story, I'd like to point out the gospel in Daniel 6. 
Daniel, the man, is a picture of Jesus, who, though he was innocent, was envied and hated and condemned to die. He, too, was let down into a pit of death, and a stone was rolled across the entrance and an official seal placed over the stone. Just as God sent an angel to Daniel, he also sent angels to testify, He's not here, he's risen, just as he said. From that pit of death came forth the Prince of Life. He's the one who's conquered death forever and ever. And because of him, we know that to be absent from the body is not to be dead, but to be present with the Lord. He is Daniel's God. His name is Jesus. He's our Savior and Lord. The same God who rescued Daniel will rescue you if you will trust. Those who trust in him are counted righteous in God's eyes, and his sins are, their sins are forgiven forever. If that's what you need and that's what you want, then, friend, run to the cross. Do not delay. Run to the cross and lay your sins on Jesus. In one shining moment, your sins will be forgiven, and you will receive a brand new life. This is God's promise to those who trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. And, and for all of us, there's much to encourage us in this beloved story. In the days to come, we will all face hostility in one form or another because of our Christian faith. Those who serve the Lord never have an easy road in this world. But friends, be of good cheer. If we will be faithful, God can use us to touch many people, including some in high places who watch us from a distance and cheer us on, hoping that our God will deliver us. I want to end with a prayer that I pray for myself, but I also pray for everyone today who's hearing my words. Lord, we do not ask for an easy road, but for courage to walk the path that you set before us. We thank you that our life is in your hands and that we have nothing to fear because all our days are appointed by you. Give us the faith of Daniel. May our colors be clear so that everyone will know that we belong to you. We do not pray for a den of lions, but we ask for courage to go there if that be your will for us. Above all else, may you be glorified in our life so that others will see Jesus in us. We pray this in the name of him who is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Amen. Until next time, friends, see the vision, live the mission, feel the passion.